Hi, this is Dan Mendes from NextGen Venture Partners coming off of a fantastic conversation with Jacob Hodes, head of private equity at Brown Advisory. Brown Advisory is a $55 billion asset management firm that's invested in NextGen's fund. And Jacob's job, among other things, is to select a handful of venture capital firms to invest in every year. The conversation focuses on what Jacob looks for in the, the venture firms that the, and, the, and the individual investors uh, that he looks at, what their strategy should be. And I think it's interesting certainly for venture capitalists, but more importantly, for entrepreneurs uh, who I think it'd be helpful to know how their venture firms think, what their venture firms have to do in order to attract capital from people like Jacob. I think uh, Jacob provides a great deal of insight that is uh, interesting generally, but also actionable for entrepreneurs as they're raising venture funds. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. Jacob, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So you spend uh, a lot of your time thinking about which venture capital firms uh, to put your money into and your fund's money into. And I want to spend our time today talking about uh, how you select your managers, how you analyze them, how you track them over time. And and the thinking is entrepreneurs should understand the capital source of their venture capitalists, they, uh, the the customer perspective, you know how how venture firms think about their investment from the perspective of returning capital to their limited partners, what and what that should mean uh, for entrepreneurs. So let me start off just with uh, who are the kinds of uh, firms that uh, that you invest in? Uh, give us the range of managers that that you select from, from from your funds. Sure, Dan. Well, I think range is actually the operative word there. We take what I'd call a barbell approach on the one side of the spectrum. We are trying to invest with the best of the best, the firms that have the long-term track records of success, multiple funds, best deals over time. Names there that everyone knows, you know, blue chip royalty and venture capital would be Excel Partners, the Bessemers of the world, Founders Fund, Andreessen Horowitz, Sequoia. Those are the types of firms that we're looking to invest with. And the thought there is that because of who those people are, what they've done, and the connections that they have to the business world, they're seeing the best deal flow, and that is a self fulfilling prophecy or self-perpetuating, they'll continue to see the best deal flow and hopefully make the best decisions possible. On the other end of the spectrum, it's the quintessential emerging manager. And what's an emerging manager? It's a group or a person or a group of people that might have some extreme differentiation that we think gives them better visibility into a certain segment of the market than anyone else. And because of that significant differentiation, we think that positions them to really have disproportionate success growing companies within their vertical. And so we're not just trying to chase names, I should say, on the end of the spectrum. We're really trying to find people that are seeing the best, consistently have that, that um, track record, that reputation, and really continue to be aligned with their investors. Our hope is that those groups, too, also have extreme differentiation. We think whether you're on one end of the spectrum or the other, if you don't have a special angle or special point of view, a research focus, some special network, you're going to end up losing out. And that's no matter how great your name is or how unknown you are. So I noticed in that answer, it seems that you're, uh, a lot of the focus is on what are the kinds of investment opportunities that the venture firms are seeing in the first place. And so there are a lot of other things one could imagine that are important. I'm sure are obviously important to some degree, but that could be your, your analytical abilities and your, your diligence efforts, the degree to which you're supporting your portfolio companies, um, your, your back office management, all, all, you know, a bunch of other things it could be. But it sounds like the key thing is you know, are the best entrepreneurial opportunities sort of making it through your door? Is that is that fair? That's, that's exactly sort of the number right. one thing. Yeah, Dan, that, that's exactly right. And let me just a couple examples to bring that to life. Um, we've invested with the group Andreessen Horowitz, located on the West Coast, uh, very well named, obviously, with Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. 
But how we really came to that investment was not just seeing their name at the top of league tables or, 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 or magazines or, or frankly, um, CNBC clips, but really it was talking to entrepreneurs, finding out what they're looking for in a partner, what they're looking for in a manager. And with Andreessen Horowitz, aside from the couple named partners, they've built an extraordinary value creation platform. And whether or not this is just marketing or if it's real, every entrepreneur that we've spoken with almost across the board is so intrigued and enamored with Andreessen Horowitz because of this bench value creation platform, pursuant to which the firm is making their people, whether they're in marketing, capital markets, legal, HR, available as a resource to portfolio companies to enable them to grow over time. That sort of angle, that sort of differentiation, Dan, is very important. I think it's very much what you all are trying to do at Next Gen Venture Partners as well, given the reach that you have, the breadth, the network, the communities that you're trying to create around the portfolio companies and entrepreneurs that you work with. Yeah, that, I mean, that's exactly right. You know, Andreessen Horowitz has you know, something like 100 people on staff who do nothing but support their portfolio companies. And we're trying to achieve something very similar through a, a network of now over 800 venture partners who are doing that in a part-time capacity. So it's a similar value prop to entrepreneurs. What I'm curious about is it sounds like from a limited partner perspective, from, from Brown Advisory and your perspective, uh, it actually matters a lot less how real that value proposition is and much more what is the, what is the perception of entrepreneurs uh, as they think about uh, their financing partners and they, they have choices, to what degree do they want to choose uh, Andreessen Horowitz? Is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think that that's fair. I mean, I'd argue that perception probably is reality um, yeah. and that, you know, the longer a firm is around, the more history. And frankly, Andreessen Horowitz has built itself a great name and a great reputation in a fairly short amount of time, maybe 10 years, which, you know, is barely a cycle in venture capital. And so I think you're, it's a fair assessment that it remains to be seen whether or not this value creation proposition is real or as value add as we hope that it is. But I think we've seen with enough longevity at this point, enough entrepreneurs want to be a part of the system. They want to go through the program. They want to kind of graduate with the pedigree of an Andreessen Horowitz value creation um, team propping them up. In a lot of ways, I think, like you said, it's exactly what your network and your capabilities are trying to do on NextGen, maybe in a more genuine sort of way, because it is a kind of opt-in, crowdsourced, limit, uh, part-time community, like you said. So it's, you're really getting people who want to engage, people who want to open up their networks, think about how to create, how to add, how to support to businesses that are around them. And as you're evaluating uh, these firms, are you looking f uh, for you know uh, venture firms that are you know hopefully having sort of you know three times returns, five times returns uh, on a deal-by-deal -deal basis? Or are you looking for the firms that uh, are swinging for the fences and you, know, you think are likely to, to get the next Facebook, the next you know, Snap, the next WhatsApp? That's a great question. I, you know, I think that, I want to say it's a, it's a bit of a mix of both. You know, I think that when we look at a firm, we want to see the potential to create disproportionate value or you know, relative value that is much greater than than peers. And so look, if every one of our managers is underwriting to a 3x or 5x or 10x return, you know, portfolio theory, some will shake out, some will be average, and then some will drive the portfolio. I think at the end of the day, we want to invest with people who have a system in place, have a process, a differentiation that is going to allow them to really drive a substantial multiple of invested capital. So I'm, I'm kind of equivocating on, on your answer a little bit, Dan. But what, what I'm trying to say, within the venture part of our portfolio, 
make no bones about it. We are in it to win it. We are looking for someone who can produce a substantial, you know, three times, four times, five times return for our investment. Otherwise, candidly, it's not worth the risk. You could find a buyout manager, a real estate manager, I mean, even a private debt manager that can kind of create a 2x type return over time with probably less risk than you are taking at the company level with a venture capitalist. So we want someone who, at the end of the day, is going to drive significant value. Now, we're investors with Founders Fund as well. Founders Fund makes large outsized bets in companies like SpaceX or Stemcentrics, which was a good uh, return. These are companies that could have a very binary return based on things. And so that's part of the equation, and that's partially why I'm equivocating. There, we think you've got a very smart team, contrarian point of view, is going to invest in some companies that are huge home runs that will ultimately drive a portfolio. There's other ways to get there, too. There's no one way to do it. Other of our managers have that more consistent approach where we think on a deal-by-deal basis, they will get there over time given the risk that they're taking, which we think is appropriate, that will allow them to drive that multiple invested capital that we're targeting. And so it's not surprising uh, that you would put your money with Andreessen Horowitz, that you'd put your money with Founders Funds. Um, you know, they, they are among the top choices of entrepreneurs. Um, the returns, the kinds of companies they've invested in, like you mentioned, have been extraordinary. Uh, I'm curious if there are uh, funds that are less well-known or less clearly established and sort of the, t- the top 10 that you have backed um, that, uh, that you'd want to talk about. Sure. I think the one that comes to mind, and it just checks a lot of the boxes that we're talking about, is Lux Ventures. It's a New York-based venture capital firm. Lux Ventures prides itself on also a very differentiated point of view. Instead of focusing on typical internet, commerce, consumer-type companies, uh, these folks are talking about high-technology, robotics, nanomaterials, more of the hard science-type companies. And in doing that, they've created a team that is very research-heavy, research-oriented. They've created processes that are very, very fundamentally based and, again, um, really go deep into the science around these things. And they're looking at verticals and companies that, in some ways, are chasing very, very nascent markets. So here, look, it's very much an emerging manager. The folks haven't had major realizations yet in their portfolio, but we think that they're going about the right way of building companies that are durable and that will stand the test of time. It'll play out in time because, again, these are very nascent companies and nascent markets. And so you're really trying to chart the course of how these how these businesses will go and what they might return. But we think that that differentiation is there. We think that they've shown the ability to find interesting theses, interesting hypotheses, and pursue them in a company format that could be very, very substantial over time. So I think we're pretty excited about them. Every fund presentation they meet, whether it's at their annual meeting or or, or in our conference room, it's like a TED Talk. I mean, they're really, really fascinating, high-energy people that live, breathe this um, this mantra that they pursue. And I'd say that they're all aligned as well. They're hungry, they're young, they have a lot to prove. And so it's the perfect ingredients for a team that we like. And again, we've backed them now for a few funds. And so I think, uh, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Lux is now on its fifth fund, or recently closed its fifth fund. Uh, That's right. And uh, so it's interesting that you call them an emerging manager, which which makes sense, right? They have you know they haven't necessarily lived through that full cycle yet, so that you know what the returns are over the decade, you know, often twelve year period that that a fund needs to mature. Um, but I think it's uh, interesting for listeners to realize that from a limited partner perspective, even a fund on it, even a firm that has just raised its fifth fund could still be considered an emerging manager. 
Yeah, and look, I mean, that's a it, it's an active debate that we have on our team whether or not Lux, in particular, is an emerging manager given the success that they have. And by the way, the companies are all trending very well in the portfolio. And so, on paper, I should say unrealized, the portfolios look very, very strong. Probably the reason why, at the end of the day, I would put them in the emerging manager bucket is because, from a returns perspective, from a di- distributions to paid in capital, uh, it's still early in the firm's life. Now, at any second, on any day, that could change based on the strength of their portfolio. But until they really get that to that point where they've distributed a meaningful amount of capital, you know, more than a multiple of, of, of their funds, you know, we still put them in that bucket. But they're probably more of a tweener than 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 anything else at this point. Um, you know, I look, I typically look at things either you're one, you're you're very established, you know, with a brand name that everyone recognizes, or two, you're in this emerging bucket. And not all emergings are created equal. There are people, you know, you and I start a ten million dollar fund in our garage, we're an emerging manager, and then Lux, like I said. I would put in that bucket as well. But again, it's still saying that you're investing in, for Lux, white spaces. And so until some of their companies, some of their sectors, some of their verticals become a little bit more mainstream, that's probably how I'd go at the end of the day. And that's probably, I think, how most limited partners think about the universe. I'm curious if you have a perspective on whether you prefer your managers to sort of back their portfolio companies kind of through thick or thin versus those that uh, might have the perspective, look, I'm, I'm going to be draconian, separate the winners from the losers, you know, double, triple down on the winners and, and cut the losers uh, loose. You know, Peter Thiel once uh, gave a talk actually with Josh Wolf of Lux Ventures um, at the New York Public Library where he said that they had gone back and back-tested his Founders Fund portfolios. And if he had continued to back every company that had an up round and really cut off every company that was raising a down round, you know, he gave kind of a differential in terms of how much better performance would be. And it's already pretty spectacular. So, you know, look, and I found that fairly compelling. You know, it's hard not to fall in love with portfolio companies. It's hard as an LP not to fall in love with your funds, um, especially you know, the business that you're in, Dan, the business that we're talking about, investing venture capital, these are companies, these are industries that have such a long tail. We've invested in funds that, you know, at year 10 looked like it was going, they were going to be dogs, where by year 14 um, made everyone extremely happy just because of something that bloomed very late in a fund life. And so, look, at the end of the day, we're looking for venture capital partners that are first and foremost building great businesses. And, Every great business is going to go through its ups and downs. And so at the end of the day, we want our managers to back them no matter what. It's a very fine line between backing them no matter what and falling in love and making wrong decisions. Um, you know, so at the end of the day, I think we lean towards the side of backing them, um, making sure that that um, the venture capital firm stays engaged with management. They know where the company is. Um, obviously, there's going to be reasons why it might differ might go a different way and again have to have the maturity to to move in a different direction but you know the hope is that our 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 venture capitalists will truly be good partners not just to us but to their entrepreneurs as well are there any managers uh, that you've you've dropped? Uh, you know, you might have invested in one fund or two funds, and then and then didn't invest in a third. And no need to name names, but but if that's happened, I'm curious. You know what your what the reasoning was? You know, almost across the board. I mean, sometimes you know, folks will have. There's probably two or three reasons, I guess I'd say, Dan, I mean, I'd say almost across the board, the primary reason why we'd move away from a manager is because of a lack of discipline, where we feel as though our thesis was premised upon a viewpoint that the manager was going to do X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the day, maybe they did A, B, and C instead, or they did X, Y, and M. 
it's some combination that ultimately, you know, gave us pause that we knew or we felt comfortable with the venture capital manager was doing. And as an LP, I think this is a really interesting point, a really important point, I should say. When most LPs construct their portfolio, they are trying to really um, get to a point where they, um, they're trying to fill certain slots, they're trying to make certain things happen, trying to target certain exposures. So one of the worst things that can happen is that a partner of theirs ends up going in a different direction, ends up investing in consumer instead of technology, or ends up doing healthcare instead of tech. And that really puts the LP in a bind, whoever they're responsible to, whoever their um, beneficial owners are, or you know, whoever they're, they're responsible for, the board or whatnot, really need to make sure that they're accountable for what's going on with their managers. And to the extent that the LP gets it wrong, uh, it doesn't really look good. I would say sometimes we also have moved away from a manager where performance hasn't really manifested itself yet, where we thought that the manager was coming back very, very quickly without really kind of doing enough. And there, it's a fine line. We want to back managers not just one time, but multiple times. That said, we also want to see that manager making sure that their portfolio is fully supported and adequately staffed before moving on to the next fund. Curious if um, if, if your st- overall strategy has changed uh, over time. Are there new sectors uh, that you're excited about? Is your balance between emerging managers and established managers changed? Uh, you know, what what are the kinds of things that you've learned over the last uh, handful of years that have, have changed your selection? Yeah, I think what we've learned is that there are not a lot of great managers that are in the market every single year. So we look at folks that are trying to add 10, 15 managers to their portfolio. And maybe we're just not smart enough or not good enough, but we just don't think that that's possible. We think it's very hard to find 10 or 15 great investments in a year. We try to stay concentrated, Dan. Uh, as you know, we try to find you know two or three folks in any given year that are capable of moving the needle for us. We feel much more comfortable with our ability to do that. Um, and that two or three is really mixed pretty evenly between the established managers and the emerging managers. I think at the end of the day, a lot of the venture that we're invested in lends itself towards uh, the tech space. At the end of the day, technology has always been the fastest growing sector of the S&P 500. And with InVenture, like what we talked about, we're really in it to win it. We're trying to get that multiple invested capital. We're looking for higher growth rates, which oftentimes are in technology. We would love to do more in healthcare. We would absolutely love to do more than in healthcare. We think that there's a lot of innovation happening there. It's the largest sector of the economy by from a GDP perspective. But what we've learned there, especially on the life sciences, therapeutics, and even biotechnology side, a lot of these companies are capital intensive and have a very long tail. And so to be an early stage investor like we like to be is a tough proposition because you need to be able to see those companies through several rounds of financing to get through clinical trials or otherwise. And so that's a tougher proposition for an LP. Not that we're not long-term oriented or that we don't want to do well, but at the end of the day, it's that time commitment, it's that perspective, it's waiting to see a number of years until, frankly, you might still have a binary uh, return to the extent that that healthcare opportunities are R&D oriented. Now, I think technology has helped the healthcare sector as well, like it has most sectors of the economy, in the sense that it's unlocked certain value creation um, capabilities that absolutely are making patient care better and bringing the cost curve of healthcare down. Those are the types of companies we like to invest in as well. It's a little bit more tangible for us. It's easier to get our hands around. And frankly, it's easier to see um, the customer base and return stream coming in a more reasonable period of time and reasonable being five to eight years, you know, not, not short term, longer term, but not impossible to hit. 
Yeah, and often these have, the cycle in healthcare could easily be fifteen or, or twenty years uh, in in some cases. So um, you know when you're going out as an early stage fund, it's generally a ten year cycle that you're at least proposing to your limited partners. It can often be a, a little bit more, but you know some right. of these well, are. You know, and on those lines, we backed a little healthcare company coming out of Johns Hopkins, uh, entrepreneur who's done very well. Actually, just took a company public in the last um, uh, uh, few few weeks, actually. But um, this new uh, iteration, you know, probably limped along for about three years, and we, we backed it with, um, you know, kind of you know, kind of first round of capital. We backed it with bridge capital. We backed it with another round, and then by the fourth round, where we were about ready to throw our hands up and say, "Gosh, this company's just not progressing," um, some test results came back extremely positively, and two of the very best healthcare investors, healthcare venture investors put in $50 million in this company, which should capitalize it to get through clinical trials, or at least to phase two clinical trials. And so that type of situation is fantastic. We feel good about ourselves. But gosh, you know, it's been four years, almost five years, not a lot of progress, still a long ways to go. And frankly, we lucked out. Let me uh, change gears for a second. What excites you personally about doing what you do? What are the most interesting parts of your job? Yeah, I think it's probably twofold. You know, being in contact with entrepreneurs, I think, is one of the most amazing things. And, you know, I love being around entrepreneurs, probably always felt a little self-conscious that I'm not more entrepreneurial myself. And so maybe it's that I get to live vicariously through these entrepreneurs, seeing what they do um, and seeing how they act, how they think. I think it's just an extraordinary thing on so many levels. Obviously, driving innovation, uh, it's making our, our 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 economy better, our country better, uh, the world better. And I really think that there's an impact associated with entrepreneurialism that um, it just goes so far beyond the micro level and really has these great macro aspects. And so to have a front row seat to that or to even be a part of that is such an extraordinary thing. Um, I think being a part of business creation, maybe not directly, but you know, through supporting with capital, um, it feels really good. Um, not like philanthropy, but in a way it's, it's, um, it's similar. You feel good seeing entrepreneurs, you seeing people, uh, you know, build interesting companies, solve interesting problems, creating jobs, all those sorts of things I think are really, um, it's exciting. I mean, it makes coming to work a lot of fun. It makes every meeting, um, worth going to worth learning something about. And, um, and I really, you know, can't say enough about, you know, being a part of the industry and how special it is. And so let's let's imagine you were to, you were to be struck with an idea. You struck, uh, became an, an entrepreneur yourself, and you were raising venture money. I'm curious, you know, what lessons have you learned uh, from your time as a limited partner that might inform you know how you think about which venture firms to work with? Sure. Well, good question. Eight years ago, I probably would have said I'd love to get a term sheet from the best name firm I could. Um, hopefully, that star power will put me in circles that I, I wouldn't have otherwise been in and put me on the pathway to success. I couldn't be further from the truth. I think finding a partner that understands your business first and foremost is extraordinarily important. Uh, without that base level of understanding, that base level of knowledge, there is really no way that that venture capital firm or partner can be additive to your company beyond the capital that they provide. You really want someone that provides value add capital, that someone Someone's going to give you good, honest, candid advice, someone that will open up doors that aren't previously open. And so I would look for a firm that I think understood me philosophically, understood me on a personal level, understood the, the technology or the, the business idea that I had, and really had um, you know some concrete thoughts as to how they would help me grow. And again, that's beyond taking the, the, the highest valuation, which is tough. 
I mean, it's tough. Most of these companies, most of these entrepreneurs are doing a heck of a job bootstrapping themselves, scraping up capital, asking their families for money, which is never easy. And so, you know, someone comes with a great term sheet, it's hard to say no to that great offer. But really finding someone who can be a supportive partner, I don't think can be replaced. Jacob, thanks so much for chatting with me today. No problem, Dan. Thanks a lot. Hope all's well and uh, good luck.